ultimate test of a true leader is one who can glance over their shoulder to see if there are followers. Bullying is serious business. It robs us of our dignity. If the Red Sea did split, which could have. If you recognize any of those voices, you'll know their recordings of the late Julia Koshitsky, Boris Brat, and Rabbi Benjamin Friedberg. They're some of the most prominent Canadians in the Jewish community who passed away recently. As we told you earlier this week, in honor of Jewish Heritage Month and to mark our one-year anniversary of the podcast, we're adding some new features to your regular listening habit. And I'm so proud to introduce this first one. It's called the CJN Daily Deadbeat, where we give honorable mention to some honorable mention and women mention, get it? And I can't take any credit for this great name. It all came from our colleague, Ron Sillag. He's a Canadian Jewish news reporter emeritus, and Ron has had to write a lot of obituaries in his career about noteworthy people who've died. But it's hard to sum up a person's life in just 700 words. So Ron will join me regularly to share some of his own stories that you might never have heard about these high-profile men and women who we've lost. Opus in the CJN tend to be, as I say, uh, on the flattering side. They're not quite as flattering as a eulogy. You have to sort of be careful not to veer into that fawning kind of descriptors. But as you say, it's very hard to sum up life in 700 words, especially a very long life or any rich life, but it is doable. And um, people often tell me that they're surprised at um, how full the obit was, when of course it wasn't. Uh, Of course you have to leave things out. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, May the 4th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. On this episode, we'll discuss Boris Brat, Julia Koshitsky, Malcolm Lester, Rabbi Benjamin Friedberg, plus Alex Eisen and Marsha Coven, and what it takes to write obituaries for the CJN. That's all coming up, but first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Marnie Bondar in Calgary, Alberta, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. There's a little bit of Israel now in the dugout of the Toronto Blue Jays baseball team. It's on the iconic blue jacket, which the players get to wear anytime one of them hits a home run, and then they come back to the dugout for high fives. The jacket ritual was first introduced last year by the team's interpreter because so many players come from many countries. This season, one of our eagle-eyed CJN readers spotted the word Israel on the jacket, so we reached out to the team to find out who it was for. The answer is nobody. According to Dan Schulman, the Jays play-by-play host, who is Jewish, the Israel badge isn't actually for anyone specific, even though the president, Mark Shapiro, is also Jewish. Schulman says they have 30 countries on the jacket now, and they're going to add even more. And it was, quote, just a case of people involved trying to be inclusive and think of all the countries that represented both the team and the city as well as they could, unquote. And now stay tuned for this important commercial. From award-winning journalist Marsha Lederman comes Kiss the Red Stairs, a compelling memoir of Holocaust survival, intergenerational trauma, divorce, and discovery that will guide readers through several lifetimes of monumental change. Marsha was five when a simple question led to a horrifying answer. She asked her mother why she didn't have any grandparents. Her mother told her the truth, the Holocaust. Decades later, Her parents dead and herself a mother to a young son. 
Marsha begins to wonder how much history has shaped her own life. Reeling in the wake of a divorce, she craves her parents' help. But in their absence, she is gripped by a need to understand the trauma they suffered, and she begins her own journey into the past to tell her family stories of loss and resilience. Kiss the Red Stairs, available now wherever books are sold. And we're back, and I'm thrilled to bring on Ron Sillag as we dive right into the deadbeats. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Ellen. We have a lot of people to talk about. It's been quite a bad month. We had two very prominent deaths in the Canadian Jewish arts community over the past few weeks. One, of course, was Boris Brat, and the other was Malcolm Lester. Malcolm Lester had been ill, and uh, his death, while tragic, probably wasn't a surprise. But Boris Brat's was, and it raised a, a lot of eyebrows, and it shocked a lot of people because Boris was neither old nor sick, and he died a very tragic death after being hit by a car in a, in a hit-and-run, I believe, in Hamilton. And uh, that um, certainly made a lot of headlines around the world. Um, Boris was a you know, consummate musician. He was uh, a violinist and he, was, um, he had his finger in every pie, it seemed, in music. But of course, he was best known as a conductor, both in Montreal and Hamilton. Uh, much loved, too. Uh, and conductors aren't always much loved. They tend to be temperamental, uh, explosive and um, very emotional people. Boris was the exact opposite. He was warm and he always, he treated everybody the same, which was just, a, you know, he was an amazing guy. I met him a few times. Uh, next, you wanted to bring up Malcolm Lester, who was probably best known for a book that he didn't write, but that he published. Right. He published, his company published None Is Too Many, uh, which went on to become an international bestseller and opened many people's eyes to Canada's uh, rather dismal record uh, in admitting Jews during the war. And, he, and it was a, a gutsy book for him to publish because it ruffled a lot of feathers, uh, both in government and outside the government. The book was about uh, Canada's terrible, terrible record of admitting an estimated only 5,000 Jews before, during, and, and in the immediate years after World War II. Canada redeemed itself only slightly after the war when it went looking for people in the displaced persons camps and brought them over under programs designed for tailors and furriers. And, um, but it's, uh, its record uh, is summed up in the title, uh, which is often misattributed to the Minister of, of Immigration at the time, sometimes even to Mackenzie King, which is incorrect. It was an unknown immigration official who, when asked, when reporters asked how many Jews Canada would admit, the response was none is too many. And I, I don't know if it's known about Malcolm, but he wanted to be a rabbi. And he even went so far as to enroll in rabbinical school at the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati. Uh, what happened is he, be, he had mononucleosis, and that put him into bed for a couple of weeks, and that allowed him time to think. And he reflected on his calling, and during that time away, he realized what he really enjoyed above all was books. And, uh, you know, the rabbinate's loss was our gain because it was really an epiphany, and he became the country's, I'd say, one of the most beloved and important publishing figures. He um, uh, also um, handled what was called the New Jewish Press, which was an imprint before it was sold to the University of Toronto Press. Um, also interesting about Malcolm is he published uh, Joy to the World, which is a book about Christmas carols. And um, somebody described it in the Globe and Mail as the most kosher volume of Christmas, Christmas carols ever produced. So an interesting, self-effacing, 
very humble man and one of the giants of Canadian publishing. And I knew him as well because I was one of the first five authors that he published in New Jewish Press, my book about Canada's Jews in mm -hmm. World War II. Certainly he was an advocate for Canadian writing and writers. And uh, one of his earliest employees was an unknown writer named Barbara Gowdy. Now, some people would have said, you know, the publishing business is a tough business. It wasn't always financially successful for him. He had some troubles, closings, mm -hmm. uh, sales, uh, lost lots of money. So it wasn't a smooth ride for him, but he never gave up right until the end. Right. And in addition to None is Too Many, I should add, <clears throat> he published uh, Joy Kogawa's novel, Obasan, which was about the internment of Japanese Canadians during the same period. So it was a gutsy guy. Now, moving away from the arts community, you have for the international Jewish community, but the, the story about the late Julia Koshitsky. Believe it or not, this is a first for me because never do I have the opportunity or the honor of speaking about David Koshitsky, who contrary to popular belief is not my son by birth. I'm much too young for that. Julia was, if she wasn't, she should have been a household name in the community. And and sort of a running gag was no matter what committee was formed at what time in Toronto's Jewish community, something that needed to be done, everyone always looked at each other and said, yeah, it'll be chaired by Julia Koshitsky. And it almost always was. She never said no to any, any uh, effort, any fundraising, anything that needed doing. Uh, she was very active in sort of the big name endeavors in the community, United Jewish Appeal, United Israel Appeal, she was chair of the Karen Hayasod World Board of Trustees during the 90s. She was president of UIA Canada. She was uh, had her fingers in many pies and became increasingly involved with the Jewish agency um, at a time when money was needed to send former Soviet Jews to Israel, Operation Exodus. She oversaw that in Canada. Uh, she oversaw uh, many things, including uh, Israel's uh, a very large party at this, I believe it was at the X uh, for Israel's 50th anniversary, where she introduced Jean Chrétien as the speaker. She was very poised. Uh, one of the best descriptions wasn't from me, it was in the Jerusalem Post, which did a nice obit, which called her Canada, Canadian jury's foreign minister. And that's how well known she was in Israel too. Condolences came from the president of Israel and from Karen Hayasod. She was observant as well, very uh, modern Orthodox family. And so I think that's one of the reasons she wanted to be buried in B'nai B'rath. Um, I believe so. Um, and she was the first, she was the only person I knew, the only Jewish person I knew who was born in Wales. She was born in Cardiff in Wales, which is where her parents escaped to at the very beginning of World War II. They were uh, farsighted enough to leave. They had family in Cardiff and that's where Julia and her sister were born. Uh, they came to Canada in the 50s. She married young. She married a well-known businessman named Henry Kaczynski, who was also uh, a survivor. And she was also active in York University, where um, they established uh, teaching uh, programs, Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs. So uh, it's a big loss for the community because uh, she was also, I should say, uh, in the interest of disclosure, on the Canadian Jewish News as a board of directors. And she was, she was huge, also... She and her husband were huge philanthropists with Jewish education. Yes. Their big, big, uh, big priority, whether it was the university, you mentioned York University, or day Associated. school. She established uh, UJ Federation's Julia and Henry Kaczynski Center for Jewish Education, 
which, as you said, provides tuition assistance and programs for children and young adults. She left a big legacy uh, as well. She certainly did. Well, let's pick up on something you just said and move on to the next uh, person that you wanted to highlight. And uh, I, I think people may, outside of Toronto and Ottawa, they may not have heard of per- this person, which was the late Rabbi Benjamin Friedberg, or in Israel too, because mm-hmm. he lived in Israel for a while. So what did you say about Rabbi Friedberg? And just quickly tell people who he was and when he died and how, why, why we wrote about him. Okay. Benjamin Friedberg was the spiritual leader of Betzedek Congregation for 18 years, Betzedek in Toronto. He died at the... Uh, advanced age of 94 on March 30th. The reason uh, the CJN did this obit, well, obviously he was well known. He was the rabbi, he led the congregation, Canada's largest conservative congregation. Uh, rabbi Friedberg took over Beth Sedek at a very fractious and sensitive time uh, in the uh, early 1970s when the synagogue was going through a real split, and it was a very contentious departure of its previous rabbi, Stuart Rosenberg, um, who was in a contractual dispute with the synagogue. And uh, it ended in lawsuits. Uh, it was quite ugly. It rankled the community and the congregation for years. Uh, I said in my obit it threatened to split the congregation into two warring camps. I don't think I pulled my punch there. It didn't threaten to split the congregation. I think it did. And Rabbi Friedberg was dropped into a very difficult situation. And he helped, as I said, in the obit, calm the waters. And over time, he did pull the synagogue together back into sort of a, a, as singular a unit as he possibly could. And he was a man of great honor and dignity. I think that's what um, he imparted. Most of all, he carried himself with a great deal of dignity, and he was a very learned man. What he resisted, of course, at the synagogue was egalitarianism, uh, the role of women. He was honest about it. He said he wasn't going to do it. But then, after his departure, the synagogue worked toward becoming fully egalitarian. I don't know how he viewed that. His reasoning for not allowing women, for example, to have aliyot was not so much that if women had aliyot, you know, Judaism would spiral downward into something. He was opposed because he thought that this was not coming from a Jewish place, the role of women, that it was coming from a liberal American ideology of feminism instead of Judaism. And for him, that was a very clear divide. And he was honest about it. He made one exception that became part of synagogue lore when Judy Feldkar's first husband died in 1973. She was allowed in Aliyah so that her son wouldn't be alone on the Bima. That was a nice exception, but he stuck to his guns and um, until, until he retired. We have time for maybe some quick, quick ones. So I'll just mention Marsha Coven, who was uh, the founder of the St. John, New Brunswick Jewish uh, Historical Museum, which is now on all the, you know, cruise ship itineraries. If you're coming through the Maritimes, they always take you there. But also you wanted to mention uh, Alex Eisen, uh, who died mm-hmm. in Toronto. Alex Eisen was a character and he was the kind of person I love to write about because he was a Holocaust survivor who I didn't know it until I wrote about him and I knew Alex. He, was, uh, he worked for Oskar Schindler um, when in Poland, uh, off and on for several years. But Alex was the absolute consummate fundraiser. And he was the kind of guy that if you saw him on the street, you knew it would cost you. Because he would pull tickets out of his suit pocket and talk you into buying, you name it, like dinners, galas, 
brotherhood breakfast, golf tournaments, he had them in his pocket and you weren't walking away until you bought something from him. And his favorites were Arena, Beit HaLochem, Jewish National Fund, Canadian Society for Yad Vashem. He played a central role in raising money for the Holocaust Monument in Earl Bales Park through the Canadian Society for Yad Vashem. Um, so he was steeped in tzedakah and um, raised millions of dollars over the years. He was a founding member of Beth David Synagogue. One day he went to Rabbi Shaim there and said, how come we read the Megillah on Purim, recounting events from thousands of years ago, but we don't read anything, a prepared text to observe Yom HaShoah. Rabbi Shaim sort of shrugged like everybody else, but he took the idea to the Rabbinical Assembly, to an organization in Israel called the Schechter Institute, and working, everybody working together, including Alex, in 2003, they published something called the Megillat HaShoah, the Shoah Scroll, uh, which was created. It consists of prayers and readings, and today it is read in several languages around the world, all thanks to Alex Eisen. And it was just, a, an, he had an innate resolve to transform his pain into passion, and he did it very humbly uh, without any kind of record recognition or praise. I don't believe he ever sold a ticket to his own dinner, but he certainly should have. I'm so glad you brought that up. I didn't know that. And quickly, we want to introduce uh, our, our, maybe it'll be a regular feature, which was we're going to have an honorary Jewish mention, someone who was uh, not Jewish, but uh, was doing good deeds or, or that impacted the Jewish community. Right. And this time it's David Kilgore, uh, who was elected as a conservative MP, um, still not clear on whether he left the party or was kicked out. It was a imbroglio over the GST. But in the Jewish community, Kilgore will be remembered as a real champion of Soviet Jewry. He was very well known. He was the go-to guy to call. He tried to affect foreign policy as much as possible. He was head at one point of Canadian parliamentarian, sorry, Canadian parliamentarians for Soviet Jewry. And it was a priority for him among the many human rights priorities he had. For all of these amazing stories, Ron, thank you so, so much for bringing them to our audience. Thanks for being here, and uh, we'll speak to you next time. You bet. Thank you. Now, if you think somebody should have honorary mention next time, just drop us a note at the CJN Daily. My email address is ebessner at thecjn.ca. If you want to read more about the people we've profiled today, the links to the stories are in our show notes. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Nina Glick in Bergenfield, New Jersey. She's a longtime CJN reader. She and her late husband, Rabbi Mordecai Glick, lived for decades in Montreal. He passed away in October. This episode has been brought to you by Looking Back, Moving Forward, 160 Years of Jewish Life in B.C. Published by the Jewish Museum and Archives of British Columbia for their 50th anniversary, this elegant volume is a once-in-a-generation collection of Jewish life and history throughout the province. Order your copy today at jewishmuseum.ca.